so I've got two things I want to do today. First of all, is I want to touch on the uh, Parsha for this week. Um, and then we're going to continue through the book of Ruth and hopefully, uh, hopefully get through and get done with the book of Ruth. So let's open up first to uh, Bamin Bar, Numbers, chapter 8. Bamin Bar, chapter 8. And the uh, title of this Parsha is Beha Alodcha, and that is when you set up or when you raise up, uh, or some of you may translate it, your translation may say when you light, and we're going we're gonna to talk about that a little bit. Um, so I want to talk just really quickly about being a lamp lighter, and uh, this is a beautiful, a beautiful section of this Parsha, just a couple of verses that I really want to encourage us in. So chapter uh, 8, verse 1, I'm reading from the uh, NIV here. It says, um, the Lord said to Moshe, speak to Aaron and say to him, when you, and this is where translations start to go wildly different. Some of you just may say when you kindle or when you light. Um, the NIV says when you set up, and the Hebrew is actually when you lift up. When you lift up um, the lamps, see that all seven light the area in front of the lampstand or facing in the face of the lampstand. And so there's some really interesting um, things about this when you lift up. So the, first of all, let me say this is, of course, about the menorah, right? And uh, we had a great discussion Wednesday night. Um, and if you're here locally and you're not here on Wednesday nights, then shame on you. You should be. It's a great discussion Wednesday night about this. Um, we have we have menorot everywhere, right? We have menorah all, all over the place. And it, it's funny, um, just to show you kind of where we've been on our journey, because I know everybody in here is at a different place. When we first started studying Torah, one of the things Heather said, not to throw under the bus, because I have my own, my own moments, but I'm on display all the time. So um, one of the things that she said was like, I'm not having a menorah in this house. Like, you can hang that up. It's not, it's not going to happen. And now we, like, can't stop buying them. We have some, you know, Hanukkah, menorah, whatever, um, because they're so, they're so beautiful. But I've gotten questions about, um, well, I see you have a, a seven-branch menorah, and then you have the, the, the nine-branch or the eight-branch menorah for Hanukkah. Um, why don't you ever, why don't you put candles, and why don't you light the, light the menorah? And it goes back to the commandment, um, so in, in, in Israel, um, you'd be hard-pressed to find a seven-branch menorah, period. Uh, you can find them, uh, but if you find them, they're usually pretty expensive. Uh, they're, they're mostly Hanukkah. And um, you never, ever, 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 have I made that clear? Never see a seven-branch menorah lit um, in the land. And, and it goes back to the, the commandment to... Uh, keep the holy things holy so the things that are in the tabernacle and in the temple those things are for temple service period and if you if you make one of those and bring them into your house and light it then it be, it makes it common then it's not set apart um there's the old phrase um um uh sorry something uh i'm sorry i just went completely blank absence makes the heart grow fonder right absence makes the heart grow fonder and in a sense that's what Hashem's saying when he's saying like the oil the the golden implements the the, the ladles the spoons the lampstand all that stuff is is for you to want to be able to come back to it want to be able to see it you bring it into your home and it just becomes another thing um for instance don't raise your hands but how many of you have so many bibles that you can't even remember which ones are where and where they are some have dust and some are in an old drawer and some are under your bed and are no just me okay um but this the word of god Right? The holiest book that we have. And we've grown up with it, so we tend to treat it like, well, you know, it's not a translation I don't read anymore. So No, it's still the Word of God. Imagine what we could do with the menorah and with things like this. And so, um, so that it goes back to that. Secondly, um, the, the menorah is, uh, you, you'll never find one, or you should never find one, that's made to the specifications with the, the bulbs and the petals and the flowers and all those kinds of things because we're forbidden to make anything just like it is in the, in the tabernacle, in the temple again, because it's holy, it's set apart. Um, to light the menorah, that was, that was a person's job. Whose job was it to make sure the menorah stayed lit? 
It was the high priest. It was the Kohen Gadol, right? Am I him? No. And he said, well, yeah, but we're not. Yeah, I get it. I, I understand. Uh, we had a hair-splitting conversation Wednesday night about, are we splitting hairs about some of this stuff? And I, and I understand. Um, but, but I'm not a priest, and, and that's, not my, that's not my place. Again, keeping holy things holy. And that's something that Judaism understands really well that we typically don't understand because we've had access to everything. We can march into the presence of God whenever we choose, right? That's how we've grown up. And so everything becomes diluted and everything, everything becomes common. And, and we have no real appreciation. I, I have no, I mean, I have not a lot of love lost for the Catholic Church, but one of the things I do appreciate about is the respect and is the, the pomp and circumstance and is some of the liturgy that they really kind of model after Judaism, but um, that they have. You're not going to run through a Catholic Church. I mean, it's just not like I'm saying running run in a building is wrong. I'm just using it as an example. Um, and the, the respect that they have. So um, that's why we don't light the menorah. For those people that talk about, well, you know, the Hanukkah uh, is, is just the rabbis change the menorah. That is so stupid. Um, and if you make that argument, I'm not calling you stupid. I'm saying just continue to study and continue to read and do your research um, because that's not at all what it is. Remember that the Jewish people are all about protecting the covenant. And before we get into it too far, Yeshua did the same thing. We can't blame the Pharisees for putting fences around the commandments because our Messiah was a Jew of Jews and he did the same thing. Oh, you've heard it said, but I say. That's a fence, right? That's not changing the Torah. That's a fence. It is written, and I tell you, etc. right? So um, the, the rabbis did not change the menorah, okay? It's, it's all in an attempt to remember the holy temple, remember the place where the Shekinah dwelled, the, the Shekinah glory of God, and so that's what it's all about. And so Hashem tells Aaron, go and tell, Mo, uh, go and tell uh, tells Moses to tell Aaron... Um, when you lift up the lamp. Now, the way this worked in the temple service is that you have the Kohen Gadol, right? And then you have the Kohenim, his sons, and then you have the Levites, right? And, and, and everybody works together and everybody has a station and a place. And part of the, the, the service of the Kohenim, Aaron's sons, part of their service was to make sure that the lampstand was prepared for the lighting, so make sure that the cups were filled with oil. Make sure that the wicks, which by the way, the wicks are used priest's robes that were torn up or that were cut and that were, that were used for the wicks, was to make sure that all those things were prepared and ready for when the Kohen Gadol came to light the lamp. And the way that he, he lights it is that he actually lifts up a flame and just gets it in proximity, close enough to the lamp, to the, the wick, that it lights on its own and so the the sages have some really interesting things to say about um about this and uh, this is from uh the Lubavitcher Rebbe which if you if you don't know go look him up it says when the Kohen came to kindle the menorah's lamp each afternoon in the holy temple he found them fully prepared for lighting earlier in the day the lamps had been cleansed uh, clean and filled with oil and fresh wicks had been inserted all he had to do was to bring near the flame that he carried so that its proximity to the waiting lamp would unleash the potential for illumination which the lamp already holds. So the lamp has the potential for illumination. That's the whole point of the menorah, right? The whole point of the lampstand is to cast out darkness, is to light. There's a, a, an interesting thing in the, in the Talmud that talks about um, homes of this time. They were built with a, a windows that were narrow on the outside and wide on the inside so that light would come in and be dispersed throughout all the inside of the home. In the temple, however, when Solomon built the second temple, he built the windows the other way with the narrow end on the inside and wide to the outside so that the light of God, the light that emanates from the temple would be broadcast and spread throughout the whole world. I think that's really cool. He goes on to say, Snoopson goes on to say, therein lies the important lesson to the spiritual lamplighter. Everybody say, that's me. Thank you for those of you, that, those three of you that said it. Do not, listen to this, do not think that you are achieving anything that your fellow could not in truth achieve on his own. Do not think that you are giving him something he does not already possess. The soul of your fellow is a ready lamp 
filled with the purest oil and equipped with all that is required to convert its fuel into a blazing flame. It only lacks the proximity of another lamp to ignite it. If your own soul is a light, its contact with another soul will awaken its potential for light so that it may illuminate its surroundings and kindle other souls in return. Now, I don't know about you, but that perspective is completely perpendicular to the perspective that I was raised with. I was raised with a perspective that said that everybody you come across is a wretched sinner in need of being saved, being told what their sin is so that they can be, they can be guilty enough about it that they, can, they need to be saved. And, and those, that kind of perspective. Now, think, listen to these words as opposed to the way that maybe we still think about people we run into every day or people in our families or people in our job or in our neighborhood or whatever. That instead of, a, a, instead of seeing them as a wretched, dirty, no good, undeserving sinner, what about if we see them as the image of God? That, that they have all the potential and all the desire probably to be lit and to be a light. People around us that are miserable, for the most part, they don't choose to be miserable. I know it may seem like it. <laughs> I know it may seem like it. But you know what? Some people have issues that cause them to make bad decisions. And because of the way they grew up or the way things that happened to them or whatever, they're stuck in an endless cycle of just really crappy decisions. And while I believe in personal responsibility and I think that we need more personal responsibility, not less in this time, I also know that some people just get stuck in a rut. You ever get stuck in a rut? Yeah, happens to all of us. And so what do we need at that point? Do we need somebody to come and tell us how bad we're doing and how wretched we are? No, there's a good chance if you're anything like me, you already know how bad you're doing. Matter of fact, you know better than anyone else how bad you're doing at life. The last thing you need is for somebody to come and highlight those areas and, and really make that, let that define you. What we need is for people to realize that there's potential in us. That, that we, are, we, are, we are vessels that are full of oil with, with damp wicks that are waiting for the proximity of someone that can light our candle, that can light our fire. But he's very careful to say, like, don't think that you did this, <laughs> right? Don't think that you did this. One of the big things we can come about is that if God, when God gifts you to, to reach out to other people and to, to talk to other people and to minister to other people, Man, it's so easy to think like, oh, well, they need me now. Then you become the source. And so the wisdom of, of this rabbi is to say, first off, before we ever start talking about your ability to help someone else enlighten them, the first thing we got to deal with is remember that there's nothing you're doing that they couldn't do on their own <laughs> or that Hashem couldn't do on his own. Be thankful to God that he's decided to partner with us to use us to light the lamps of those around us. But lamp lighting is not just throwing down the gauntlet of truth and going like, well, if it doesn't, if it doesn't light your wick, then your wick must be wet. I, I know it's a good old Pentecostal preaching saying when they get tuned up and really get excited. If that don't light your fire, your wick's wet. Right? Some of you heard that in church. But we have to be very, very careful because we can be so, so toxic and so, uh, so arrogant in our understandings and our knowledge that we just want to throw down truth. And we've talked about this before. We want to just bash people with truth and just go, if it doesn't, recognize, you know, if it doesn't resonate with you, then there's something wrong with you. Aaron was to lift up the light. He, he didn't take a blowtorch and the menorah he was to lift up a lamp and tenderly and softly get it close enough to where the, the menorah would light and how much would our effectiveness be different if our approach would be a little bit different what about instead of our focus being getting people saved would be just loving people 
What about instead of our focus being getting people to convince of Torah, that we just were worried about people's well-being genuinely? And I know I'm preaching to the choir. I, I get it. We, you, I'm not thinking of anybody in, individual in here at least. Or I'd call you by name. No, I wouldn't. I'm not that brave. Um, and yet what if our motivation was just, was just a little bit different and, and a little bit more sincere? Um, the, the thing about being a lamplighter is that we get to partner with God to light other people's flame. The, the idea that, that in, in, in our tradition that, um, that at the fall now everybody has original sin and, and everybody sins just without any, it just is what we do because that's who we are. Judaism has a different approach in that everyone is, is, is born with a divine spark. And, and I love reading about the rabbis talking about the sparks, the divine sparks that are spread all over the world. And when one joins himself to God, his job, his goal is to go and gather the divine sparks. Because this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, is great. But what about when my light and your light and somebody else's light and somebody else's light and somebody else's light become a raging flame? Because darkness doesn't have a life of its own. We give it a life. We give it a life. Just like sin really doesn't have a power of its own unless we give it that power. I know this makes people uncomfortable. Sorry. Darkness doesn't have an innate power. The only power darkness has is when light is absent. And so this week, I mean, just, just two or three verses from this Parsha, but, but this week as we read this Parsha, next week as we carry it over, let's think about the lamp. And I want to just recall one um, one teaching that Yeshua did um, he tells his disciples about the fisherman that goes out and casts his net right and what, is, what does a net do it gathers right it gathers up gathers up fish what kinds of fish as the parable goes all all kinds and what does he say bring them to the shore and then they'll be sorted out. The good ones in the barrel, the bad ones cast away. And Yeshua told his disciples, I want you to go and cast your net, and I want you to catch everybody you can. Now we read that, and we don't really, like we think, oh, well, yeah, but not like, not everybody, right? <laughs> not like everybody, everybody. We've all got that one, those one or two people, or those several people depending on how self-righteous we are, all those bunch of people, that we go like, yeah, but not like, mm, I don't even God don't want them. But Yeshua said, go and cast, cast, get everybody you can from every walk of life, from every color, creed, belief. We spent a lot of time talking about the first century in Judaism, and there was a lot of different stuff going on in Israel. And Yeshua comes and says, I want you to go catch everybody you can. Get them all in. Get them all in the boat. That doesn't sound like doesn't sound like what we're used to. It doesn't sound like stuff we like. But cast a big net, go get everybody. Because the way we think about the end times and that some people are just not gonna make it, right? Some people are just not gonna make it. There's the evil, they're just they're just not gonna make it. So do we just not even worry about reaching out to those people? Do we just not even worry and not even consider they're just they're just DOA, they're dead on arrival, right? They're just, there's no hope for them anyway. That's very Calvinistic, and I reject that. There, there's very, like, there's no hope for them anyway. They're just born to be, you know, evil or sinless or bad or whatever, and then nothing's going to turn them around. Yeshua said, go catch everybody you can. Bring them to me, and I'll sort them out. See, we're not the arbiters of that. We're to, we're, we, are to, we are to go and gather divine sparks. And the divine spark is in every human being. Every single one. Because Hashem is light. That's what He is. Messiah said He was the light of the world. And we are to gather sparks to Him. Regardless of color, creed, belief, religion, practice. It's tough. But our job in the, in the line of Israel's calling is to be a light to the nations. 
not to good people who can make our fellowships look good or make our, our cause look good. It's not about that. So Lamplighter, very, very cool and very, um, very challenging. And I hope that is challenging for you as well. Um, so let's go to Ruth. And I think we're in the third chapter. Is that right? We're doing Ruth 3 and 4 today, hopefully. Um, I know this is a little different, but I just could not, um, couldn't stand not talking about the Parsha for this week. So good. Um, yeah, so we're in chapter three of Ruth, and um, the more I read Ruth over and over this week, the more it just unfolds and unfolds, and we're like, man, this four-chapter book is, Wow. Uh, there's a lot of stuff here. So just to kind of recap where we are, uh, chapter one is um, about Naomi and her husband and two sons going to Moab, right, which we read about in Deuteronomy. Moab, there was nobody from the Moabites, so it was supposed to be in the congregation of Israel, right, ten generations, uh, Moab, Moabites and Ammonites. Uh, and yet there's a fee, uh, famine in the land, so they go down to Moab. Um, Naomi's husband passes away, and her sons marry Moabite women, uh, her sons ends up dying, and she's left with two daughters-in-law, uh, Orpah and Ruth. And uh, Orpah ends up going back to her, her family and to her gods, which there's no judgment for. Like, this should mess us up. If we take the word of God seriously, that part of the story should mess us up. Where Naomi goes like, no, go back to your gods. And may Hashem bless you for the kindness that you've done to me. <laughs> Wait, what? That should short circuit something. We should wrestle with that. We should wrestle with that. Because most of us don't believe that. <laughs> most of us don't believe that. We would, most of us, I would say, would be hard pressed to have a run in with a, a Muslim. And at the end of our time together, say, go back to Allah and may, may Hashem bless you for the kindness that you've shown to me. Is, but like, I'm saying, we should wrestle with it. We, it should cause us trouble. It should be difficult because it's not the way we process things. Do, do we want Hashem? A absolutely. A absolutely. And yet, why does Naomi make this decision? Why does she encourage them in this way? Because she knows that to come and follow Hashem is to leave everything. Everything. Family, tradition, language, culture, beliefs. Everything. And adopt the Jewish way. The Israelite way. As I've said it over and over and over, but rabbis will tell you that it, they, they deny people to convert not because they don't want more people but because they know that most people are not ready to ready to do that ready to sacrifice what it takes and yet Yeshua says come to me but before you come to me count the cost and I'll make you a new creature and we struggle with that we struggle with like well I he says I'm new but I don't feel new that may be because we didn't leave everything behind it's not something he didn't do maybe it's something we didn't do See, salvation is conversion. Salvation is conversion. Not to Judaism proper, but to a Jewish rabbi and a Jewish Messiah. Wrestle with that one too. Don't send me ugly emails. Um, so, uh, Naomi, uh, so we have uh, Ruth's big speech, right? Your God will be my God, and your people will be my people. And it's so funny and sad at the same time, because what we have said, remember we talked last week about Israel's cult God, right? And how, how God expresses himself through Israel. So the only reason we know anything about God is through the nation of Israel, because our Messiah was a Jew. If not for him, I don't know that we know about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
But what Ruth says is that your God will be my God and your people will be my people. What, what most of the major world religions have said to Israel and to the Jewish people is that your God will be our God. Your God will be our God. Catch you on the flip side. See, we got the your God will be our God people, and there and 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 Christians love God, and they and they and and God has used this to spread His word through the entire world. And yet, we've taken God, but we've not taken His people. Your God will be my God, and your people will be my people. Remember I said that the the direction in Scripture for redemption is always the nations towards Israel. It's never Israel towards the nations. Ever. Ever, 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 ever. Your God will be our God. We we talk a lot about return here. uh, You're going to have to think about this because I've had to. We talk a lot about returning Yeshua to his Hebrew heritage, right? Like we're like we're we're the ones that have saved Yeshua from the church. Right? We've given Yeshua back his Torah Torahness. We've given back his Hebraicness. Can I just can I just say that there's there's nothing Hebraic in scripture? Wait, what? To say that Yeshua was Hebraic is sidestepping the fact that he was Jewish. And what Hebraic means is, Hebraic means this kind of weird, like, hippie, outside, rebel, kind of summer of love kind of thing where he didn't do everything the establishment did he was anti-establishment and anti-tradition and all this kind of stuff and he he was hebraic no he was he was a jew that kept the same calendar in the temple that all the other jews kept even if he didn't believe in it or didn't agree with it i don't know i wasn't there he was a he was a jew inside of a jewish community a pharisaic community and so this Hebraic stuff, I think in a way is our way of trying to sidestep the fact that, no, he, this is what it is. Your people will be my people. We, we say stuff like Davidic dance. There's no such thing as Davidic dance. There's the Hora and there's the, there's, but when a Jewish person hears you say Davidic dance, like, what the heck are you talking? You mean dance? <laughs> you mean you mean the stuff we do like as a people no i mean your people will be my people and we've left out the your people part so as much as we say we need to return yeshua to his his hebraic identity i believe we got to go a step further and we need to we don't need to just return yeshua to the jewish people we need to return hashem to the jewish people We get all proud of, oh, we're returning Yeshua. Look, look, Jews, look, we're bringing you your Messiah. We need to return Hashem to the Jewish people first. Okay. Um, so the uh, so they come back, Naomi and Ruth come back to Bethlehem. And um, the, the, the fact that the fact that Ruth makes this proclamation in the first chapter and there are, like I said last week, three other chapters tells us the story doesn't end there. There's, there's, more, there's more stuff that we gotta, we gotta figure out. Um, so chapter two is the first meeting of, of uh, Ruth and Boaz and the field, et cetera, et cetera. And then we end up in chapter three, okay? Uh, and we talked about uh, Yibum last week, Leverite marriage, and how important that is to protect the covenant, uh, the integrity of the covenant. And so we start in chapter 3. And I want to talk about today the redemptions of the book of Ruth. Because when we think of the book of Ruth, we think of redemption, we think of like two people, right? Mostly. Who do we think about? Say it. Okay, well, Naomi. We think about Ruth. We should think about Naomi. I'll get to that. We think about Ruth, and then we think about the kinsman redeemer, right? Yeshua. No, Boaz. Boaz in the story 
the kinsman redeemer, right? But who gets redeemed? Ruth gets redeemed, right? And, and it's this beautiful picture of, of the nations coming in and being, okay, being redeemed, great. But I want to talk about a couple of other redemptions that I, I see in the book of Ruth. So chapter 3, verse 1. One day Ruth's mother-in-law Naomi said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked as a relative of ours tonight, he will be winnowing uh, barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, get dressed in your best clothes. Now again, what time of year are we in? This is Pesach. This is uh, Sephirot HaOmer, right? Counting the Omer, okay? Go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know that you are there and, excuse me, until he has finished eating and drinking. Verse 4, when he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. So again, like last week, we talked about this is, this is Yibum. This is, this is redemptive marriage, Leverite marriage, right? We've seen, this sounds really and feels really familiar, right, as we mentioned last week, because the first really um, Leverite marriage kind of thing we have is Lot, right? And Lot's daughters believe that it's the end of the world, they believe that they're the last ones on the face of the earth, and it's up to them to repopulate humanity. Like, that's what they believe. Lot, mm, he kind of knows and kind of doesn't know that that's not quite the case. It's weird and difficult. And yet, we have this yiboom taking place, this Leverite thing taking place with Lot and his daughters, I know. But what is involved there? What do they do to Lot? Yeah, they get him for schnicked, right? They get him drunk, and, and that's what happens. So then the, the next one we have is Judah and Tamar, right? And Judah comes in, and, and there's not necessarily drunkenness, but there's betrayal there as well. And so it's, it's always kind of sticky, right? So when we get to Ruth, we have the same kind of thing. Naomi is going like, no, let him get well, like, let him get well taken care of. It, this drives me crazy because... I come from a tradition mainly where alcohol was like the devil's brew, right? And, I, and I'm not, I'm not uh, taking away from the fact that a lot, it has ruined many lives, taken many lives. I mean, I'm, I'm not making a lot of that or taking away from it at all. I, I, I get it. And yet, most of the, not most, but a lot of the plan of God in Scripture is moved forward when somebody goes like, get them hammered. What the heck? Do you see that? I mean, do you realize that? That, the stake, right, exactly, right? Yeah. It's a, it's a temple story. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I got that from somebody else. I just can't remember who. But listen, even Yeshua's first miracle, even his first miracle was like, no, no, no. Let's wait until everybody's completely hammered, completely smashed out their mind. Yeah. Like, this is at least one day, a whole day, a whole day of drinking. Now, the, the alcohol wasn't as alcoholic as it is today. We know that. Yet, I mean, Miller Lite's not super alcoholic, but you drink Miller Lite all day, it's going to catch up with you. At some point. I mean, natural light, I mean, I wouldn't drink it, but if that's your thing, whatever. It could have been the first day, maybe even into the second night of the wedding feast. And Yeshua's there with his disciples, and they're dancing, and they're having fun, and they're probably drinking a little bit too, and enjoying everything. And so, like, everybody, I just, I can't help but stress that so many times the plan of God moves forward through this thing that we don't understand and just like the earlier parts of Ruth that we should wrestle with we should wrestle with that that should make us uncomfortable it should be complicated I'm not saying it's right I'm not saying like we want God to move let's grab the tequila like that's not what I'm saying but I'm but I'm saying that it should we should notice that in scripture and it should we should go like "Mm, that doesn't feel right and we should wrestle with it okay so anyway just I think the things like that are really interesting. Um, so verse 5 of chapter 3, Ruth says, I'll do whatever you say. And so verse 6, she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do when Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits. He at least had a hard buzz. He was in good spirits. 
Um, and I'm not trying to like I'm not trying to be weird with the word. I mean, I'm just saying it is what it is, right? Um, he went over and lied down at the far end of the grain pile. <laughs> He's like, I'm, I can't make it home to bed. I'll just crash here for the night. Um, when uh, it says that he went, yeah, and Roth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Um, in the middle of the night, something startled the man. There's there's a woman in your cloak. Um, and he turned, and there was a woman laying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. I am your servant, Ruth. Uh, she said, spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Now, again, I don't want to get all, like, crass or anything, but this is not, this is not, um, this is not, like, too, I don't know how to even say this without being, you understand what I'm saying. This is not as clean, as pretty as we would like it to be, right? This is not as simple and, like, I don't know how many of you ever heard of a program called True Love Waits. Um, back in, like, none of you. What, Miss Shannon? Okay. But it was a thing that high schoolers went through back in the 90s about celibacy and, you know, virginity and all that kind of stuff. Like, that's the way we're trained. Like, everything has to be super clean for God to honor it. And this is not that. Again, this, should, this is a hard story, and it should, it should make us wrestle. I'm not saying that it's okay and we should all just throw caution to the wind. What I'm saying is that the plan of God is being moved forward through less than Christian ideal means. And that should cause us some, uh, some, some study. Um, so verse uh, 10, it says, Hashem bless you, my daughter. He replied, the kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am garden redeemer of our family, there is another who is closer related than I. Stay here for the night in the morning if he wants to do his uh, duty as your guardian redeemer. Good, let him redeem you. But if, not in, uh, if he is not willing, as surely as Hashem lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So here, in my opinion, we find the first redemption. And that is the redemption of Boaz. Boaz says in verse 10, The Lord bless you. you are kinder, or your kindness is greater than what you showed earlier. You have not run up under younger men. Whether rich or poor. Boaz is of age, right? He's not going to look like he's finding a wife anytime soon. So how is he redeemed? He's redeemed in that Ruth chooses him. A man that, as far as we know, does not have any children. He doesn't have a son that he will pass down his family name to. He is, in, in a sense, he's, he's not the, the, the greatest example of what an Israelite should be. Because you're supposed to pass down your family line to a son. Remember, that protects the covenant. We talked about that last week. And yet, he's finding himself of age, and he does not have that progenitor of his line. And so Ruth is for him a redemption. I'll bring this back around a little bit later. So let's, let's just continue to read. So this is verse 14. So she laid his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no, uh, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. Verse 15. He also said, bring me the shawl which you are wearing and hold it out. And when she did, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on the floor. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi, she asked, how did it go, my daughter? And so she told her everything Boaz had done and had added. He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Okay, so chapter 4. Meanwhile, Boaz went to the town gate and sat there as a guardian redeemer that he had mentioned came along. Boaz says, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took 10 of the elders, which in Hebrew is called a minyan, uh, that 10 men are required to pray certain prayers um, in, the, in the liturgy. Uh, 10 men and said, sit down here, and they did so. And then the guardian redeemer came. Uh, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to her relative Elimelech. So this is not about Ruth, this is about land. See? He begins starting out like this is piece of property, not woman, land. I thought I should bring matter to your attention and suggest that you buy the presence of these seated here in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, so be. 
Uh, but if you will not, tell me so I will know. For one has the right to do except you. No one has the right, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name uh, of the dead with his property. At this moment, the guardian redeemer said, uh, Wait, time out. Come again? Then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Hmm. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to another. Uh, verse 8, So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. So Boaz announced to the elders of all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Melon. Uh, I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Melon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. So that his name will not disappear from among his family nor from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, You are witnesses. May Hashem make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah. Which is the prayer we pray of our daughters every Arab Shabbat. Um, who together built with the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephratah uh, and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the, different, through the offering the Hashem gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah. So in chapter 4, so we have Boaz being redeemed in the first chapter. In, in the third chapter. In chapter 4, who is redeemed? Ruth, right? This is the, this is the money ball. Like this is Ruth being purchased uh, and her land and all of, all of her things and her, her heritage being redeemed um, through Yiboom, through Leverite marriage. So we have Boaz being redeemed, Ruth being redeemed. Um, but there's something else that's being redeemed underneath the surface. Ruth comes from where? Moab, right? Moab. Where does Moab come from? Say it again. Lot. Oh, wait. What else is being redeemed here than just a woman? Lot... And his daughters, his daughters deceive him or, or, or don't, whatever your opinion on that is. And they begin the line of what would be Moab. Now Lot, belong, Lot is who? He belongs to what nation? He's an Israelite, right? So there's a part of the Israelite story that branches off into a nation and a people that would become hated by the Israelites and would be banned from the congregation of Israel for, for infinite generations. Ten, meaning not one, two, three, four, five, seven, nine, ten. It means like forever. So you have, this, you have this yiboom that goes wrong and creates this Moabite nation that gives flack to Israel and all of this dissension. These are cousins. The Moabites are cousins to Israel. And yet there's all of this conflict and all of this family nastiness and all of this stuff. And then comes Ruth and Boaz. And so it's not just Ruth that is redeemed. It is the whole line of Lot and the coming back together of Israel's people. That's, that's a big part of the story that we miss. That's a big part. It's the restoration of Israel. Moab, the Moabites, what do we think about them? Oh, well, they might be, they're probably pagans. Like, they're the nations. We don't ever associate Moab with Israel in a, in a positive way, as Moab is a part of Israel, because they're not. They're, they've become the nations. And yet, through Ruth's redemption, the whole story of Lot is being redeemed. Coming back to restoration with his people. That's pretty incredible. So in chapter 3, Ruth and, and the whole story of Lot and Moaz, Moab excuse me, is redeemed. Um, let's read chapter 4 and we'll be done just the right amount of time. Uh, chapter 4. Meanwhile, Boaz went to the town gate and sat there just as the guardian redeemer had mentioned uh, and come along. And Boaz says, come here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Uh, no, I'm sorry, we already read that, didn't we? Um, where are we? 13, thank you. Uh, now Boaz, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And um, when they went in together, Hashem enabled her to conceive, and she gave born to a son. The women said to Naomi, 
Uh, Praise be to Hashem, this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May the house become famous through Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Who else gets redeemed? Naomi gets redeemed. Naomi, who comes back to Bethlehem and people go, oh, aren't you Naomi? And she says, no, call me what? Mara. Because Hashem has made my life bitter. Hashem has turned his face away from me. And that's the last part of Naomi's story that we hear until we get to chapter 4 and, and, and Boaz is redeemed and Naomi and Ruth is redeemed and, and the whole story is starting to come back together and then, and then there's a grandson born and everybody goes, see, Hashem has restored to you. And so Naomi is redeemed from a life that has lost everything including a heritage for her husband and her sons. And through Yiboom, now she has a heritage again. Remember this first son born after Yiboom is, is, is not the father's, not Boaz's. Belongs to Ruth's husband and his name. So Naomi is redeemed in this, this part of the story. So verse 16, then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living near her said, Naomi has a son and they named him Obed and this is how the story ends and he was the father of Jesse the father of David <laughs> and then it goes on to verse 18 the story the, this is the line of Perez of Hezron Hezron the father of Ram Ram of Aminadab Aminadab of Nashan Nashan Salmon uh, Salmon the father of Boaz Boaz the father of Obed Obed the father of Jesse and Jesse the father of David the entire Israelite story is redeemed in the book of Ruth not just Boaz he is not just Naomi she is not just Ruth which we focus on she is but the whole Abraham story, in essence, is being redeemed. Because Abraham wanted Lot. He wanted a nation out of Lot, out of his kinsmen. And yet that turned into something that was, was, was really, really bad. And so, in a sense, Abraham even gets redemption in the book of Ruth. It's massive, everything that Ruth touches. So I want to I draw a couple points real quick, and then we'll, we'll end up. I'll end up a lot earlier today because I kept you so long the last couple of weeks. How are we to apply this and how are we to see this, this today? Well, in a, in a couple ways that I can think of and, and you might have some, some other thoughts we can talk about after we, uh, after we finish, but the covenant is, is with Israel and is with the Jewish people as we talked about last week, we get to be a partaker of that. We're adopted sons and daughters into that, into the covenant. We can see Naomi as Israel, as the Jewish people, that has lost everything. Everything. For how many centuries and how how many years did the Jewish people not have a land, not have a, a, a stake, not have an identity, not have a, a place to call their own? They lost everything. Everything was stripped from them, and they preserved the covenant and the Torah and the traditions by their very blood. They had lost everything. Now, let me ask you this. What it, the, the most profound part of the story that we, have, that we recognize is when Ruth, an outsider, a foreigner, a, a one of the nations, goes to her mother-in-law who has lost everything and says, I want to lay down my own life to preserve you. Now, go with me here. Naomi, one, a, a woman who has God's and has a people, and has a tradition, and has a worship, uh, you know, a, a sense of worship, or a system of worship, and has a life, and has all this stuff, has a land, and a people, and a family, and all of that. 
looks at her mother-in-law who has lost everything got run out of her homeland by a famine lost her husband lost her sons she doesn't have anything to offer she doesn't have anything to offer Ruth except a God and a people and Ruth who has all of those things says I'm willing to lay down my life and leave my, my, my uh, experience behind not so that I can go and get from you so that I can preserve you so that I can eventually redeem you the church has says we'll take your God but we don't want your people And I know this is so hard to wrap our minds around. I, I get the struggle that it is. And this is not, I'm not saying this so that we could get Jewish people saved. That's not, that's not what this is about. That's Hashem's business. What our business is, is to approach the Jewish people correctly. Because you see, this redemption in the book of Ruth doesn't work if there's not a Naomi and a Ruth. The line of Lot does not get, does not get redeemed. Ab the part of Abraham's story that is probably one of his biggest regrets does not get redeemed without a, without a Naomi and a Ruth. You have to have both sides together in order for there to be redemption and restoration. And I'm going to say this, that we need the Jewish people. We need the Jewish people, period, full stop. And I'm going to say this without any arrogance, and I'm going to qualify why I say this. They need us. Not because we can bring anything to the table necessarily, but they do need us because they have one major call as the nation of Israel, and that is to be a light to the nations. If there are no nations, then there is nowhere for the light to go. If there is no nations that need the knowledge of Hashem, Israel has no job. And then Israel ends up like Israel has, cloistered together in their own religious system and in their own way of seeing life, and they're holy to God. And what about everybody else? Well, too bad. But let's not be too hard on them because all of us have been in that same exact position in our nice comfortable air-conditioned heated churches and buildings I don't care what religion and we have our music and our experience and our altar calls and our Bible studies and our discipleship training and everything is wonderful and in a sense we're saying we're like I'm glad I've got it together I'm glad we know the truth I'm glad our denomination is not like that denomination I'm glad us Protestants are not like those ignorant Catholics or I'm glad us Catholics are not like those rebellious Protestants or I'm glad our, we have the Holy Ghost, not like those dead Baptists. Or I'm glad we're not under the influence of spirits like those crazy Pentecostals. And again, I'll, re I'll repeat the phrase, we're fighting each other over who gets to fight the real fight. And what about the, what about the drunkard or what about the, the, the depressed person or the person who's insecure or the, the young lady who's been raped and so she finds herself in an endless cycle of damaging relationships? Well, I'm just glad that we have the truth and, and I'm not her. And, and then they just get left out. Israel has done the same thing. Judaism has done, in a sense, the same thing. Now, there are good understand generalities there are good Jewish people there are good organizations there are people trying to reach out I get it but without the nations the Jewish people don't have part of their whole identity now us being in between Christianity and Judaism somewhere in the spectrum knowing that we need the Jewish people and that they need us for the whole redemption to happen understand what I'm saying I'm talking about the redemption, the restoration of all things. It takes us and them. It takes the nations and the Jewish people. If we know that, then it becomes incumbent upon us and our responsibility to approach them correctly. We have to be careful and we have to know how to approach Israel. Because the direction of Scripture is never Israel to the nations for redemption. It's always the nations to Israel. 
let us not be the same Christianity that the Jewish people have known for millennia that just wants to kill and take and subdue and and force with force if necessary our ideologies on them well yeah but don't they need to know Yeshua yes and I believe one day every one of them will that's in Hashem's that's in Hashem's wheelhouse not mine what I can show them is that I ran into this Jewish rabbi and he was the one who brought me near to the God of the Jew and I submit through him not only to God that his God would be my God but that his people would be my people because you can't have one without the other when I come to Yeshua I need to make sure that I say your God will be my God but I also need to make sure that I remember that your people will be my people because it takes both of us and yet we have to be responsible for how we approach on the other hand and I was able to express this this week to a good Jewish friend of mine we need Jewish folks who will teach us and I'm, I will be very clear about this some people don't want to learn from a Jew that's fine that's fine I understand I get it no qualms you'll never hear me throw shade on you again but for those that do we cannot be blamed for chasing after the tzitzit of a Jew which is in Zechariah the prophecy that ten from the nations will grab a hold of, of the, the garment of the Jew and say we've heard that God is with you we can't be running after them and them running away from us. <laughs> and I'll gladly tell any Jewish brother or sister this. Don't refuse to teach me and then turn around and lambast me because I'm not doing it right. Doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. There's a lot of work that needs to be done on both sides. I can't speak for all of what the Jewish people need to do. Not my, not my wheelhouse. But I can speak for what we need to do. We need to, let their, we need to return their God to them. Let their God be our God. But also begin to let their people be our people. And I know there's not a huge Jewish community around here. So it's like, what are you even talking about? That's, that's nearly impossible. Well, what about learning their writings? What about learning their traditions? What about listening to some rabbis? Like, we got YouTube. Get over yourself. What, a, what, about, what, about, what about putting down some of the, the Christian teachers, Hebrew roots teachers that we've listened to, and actually go listen to a couple of rabbis for Shabbat? Listen to what they think, how they look at Scripture, how they look at God, how they look at their place in the world. Because it's different. It's different than a teacher saying, the Jews believe and has never met a Jewish person in their life. I have said it multiple times, and I believe it. I believe that, that God revealing His Torah to Gentiles who, who before it didn't know Torah from, their, from a hole in the ground. Out of nowhere everybody's rocking around doing our Jesus thing woo woo it's all good and then all of a sudden the Sabbath is forever wait what keep these feasts in all my generations that crawfish you're eating is not pleasing what how miraculous how how mir Rabbis that are starting to notice Gentiles coming and, and trying to observe Torah, they, they don't know what to do with it. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. It perplexes the rabbis. They're, they're like, I, we, don't, I, we don't know. We don't have an answer for this. I've got an answer. It's our Jewish Messiah going like, hey, come. You got the God part. Now let the people be your people. 
I believe this is the end time revelation and revival that we've, the church has been praying for. Just like I believe Yeshua was the Messiah that Israel had been praying for. And I want nothing more than to play, the, 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 play my part and us to play our part and you to play your part in the restoration of all things because that's where this is heading. We are on the way to the restoration of all things. That, in, that includes and that is spearheaded by the fact that we as believers in Hashem and believers in Yeshua, we have to come and learn what Hashem expects. And the hardest part is that we have to submit ourselves to someone else. And we don't like it. I don't like it. But beyond any of that, the thing we have to keep in our forefront is that this is about restoration. This is about the final redemption. This is about olam haba, the world to come. This is about all of our divine sparks all being gathered together and lighting each other's lamps and bringing everyone together to Yeshua, to Hashem. This is about restoration. We cannot pray for the kingdom of Hashem to come and work for it to come and still be at odds with, the, with our Jewish brothers. We can't be anti-Semitic and want our Jewish Messiah to return. Because when he returns, he's not coming as an American politician. Thank God. I mean, or as an American, period. He said, you'll see me come just as I've left. A Jew. And I can tell you that all you know what's going to hit the fan whenever Yeshua is finally revealed and he's a dark-complected Middle Eastern man that speaks with a broken Hebraic-English accent or Hebrew-English accent. I know a lot of well-meaning, God-loving, church-going Christians that are going to say, no, sir. I'm serious. I'm serious. Because the anti-Semitism is so thick and so deep. Uh Uh-uh. I want my white Jesus. Blue eyes and blonde hair with a white robe and a purple pageant sash. The book of Ruth for me is is as poignant today as it was when it happened. For us, we can draw all of this wisdom and all this value and all this challenge from the book of Ruth that we can dance around and sing and celebrate our redemption all day and I believe we have been redeemed I'm not taking anything away from that and yet we, we have God, Israel's God and yet we've left Israel's people and we need to wrestle with it because the redemption the restoration of all things depends on it Father we thank you and bless you for our time together and uh, I thank you for our live stream audience um, not audience, family. And those that choose to spend their time with us every week. Father, I pray that as you draw us closer to you, that you would help us that, that don't know and are, are trying to wrap our heads around these things. Help us, Father, to bridge those relationships, to bridge those gaps, to, to, be, to be the pleased and excited about our redemption and yet looking to redeem the rest of the story. Ruth was not... Ruth was not just happy in her redemption, but she she redeemed a whole group of people. Boaz, Naomi, Lot, Abraham, the whole story. All because, Father, in my opinion, she didn't get into this relationship to get. She got into it to give. To give safety and kindness, chesed, to Naomi. To 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 get in and, and to, to give to to those that, that she could give to and that she could serve and that she could be a part of the story for. And so, Father, let it be our, our attitude that we're, we're not in this thing just to get. We've gotten a great gift in our redemption, and yet we want to be a part that redeems others, not that causes division and chasms and, and more hurt and more pain, but we want to be part of the... We want our, our redemption and our adoption to be, to be medicinal, to be, to be the thing that brings people together. And so, Father, let us, 
let us wrestle not only with what this means for our lives here locally and what Yeshua means for our our everyday activities, our Bible study, our prayer, going to the store, our raising our families. But what does Yeshua mean on a global level? What does Yeshua mean on a on a on a on a human history level, Father? What is what is our adoption into the into the, the covenant and the kingdom? What does that mean on a on a, a a level of that we can't even understand yet? And let us be about the bigger picture. Focusing on the details because it's important, but always in mind with with the end time, a lot, the, the world to come in our, in our focus and in our sights. And Father, let there be a healing and let there be a, a trust that we help to develop between us and our Jewish brothers and sisters. Let there be a, 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 a humility in those of us that follow Yeshua. Let there be a, a humility, not as a, a beaten dog, but a humility as, a, as understanding that, that we have a place and we need so much we need so much to be a part of this community and a part of, of what God is doing. And so, Father, help us to, to find those places where we can be a salve and a, a healing for the, the schisms and the rifts that have happened for so long. We're not just redeeming ourselves or, or, or one or two people. We're redeeming a whole history. And let our, let like Ruth, our decisions and the way we approach Hashem and, and His people let it be like Ruth that redeems a whole, a whole story, a whole part of human history that we'd rather forget, the killing and the, the genocide of, of Jewish people. Let our attitudes and our turning be the beginning of that redemption, just as it is in the book of Ruth. We thank you, Father, and we bless you for this time together. We ask you to bless our, our live stream family with this week. As they go about looking for places they can gather divine sparks and be a light, be a lamp lighter in their own lives. We bless you and we thank you through Yeshua, through his covenant, through his life, and through his merit. Amen and amen. Amen.